Boxing now as well. <laughs> no, I can't do it. Change the track. Oh no! <laughs> what do you do? You think these could? Do you think these convey the sadness and tragedy that we're going through? Sad songs, tragedy. Terry, nothing compares to you! Nothing! I feel like that scene in Anchorman, you know, where he's crying in the phone box. Pouring milk down himself. Right, that'll do. Done. Snap cut. Over it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, straight into the agenda. Well, there we go. It's the first pod. <clears throat> it's very empty in here. Very empty in here. I miss my man. Yeah. <sighs> Terry, we love you. Terry, I know you're going to be listening. We love you. You're the best. We haven't really considered what we're going to say. <laughs> we haven't at all, really. <laughs> Just wing it. But, uh, nah, I think, you know, clearly... Yeah, like we are now a Terryless podcast. Um, and if anything, Terry's loan period has come to an end. Yeah, we, we've sent him back to his, his parent club. Yeah, um, we're back. Nah, look, we're, we're going to miss him. I'm sure there are plenty out there that will miss him as well. There are plenty out there that I've seen the feedback of that you know don't always agree with his point of view, but enjoy listening to him regardless. Never do some that do enjoy listening to his views. Etc. But I think you and I had debated this during the week, hadn't we? About what do we do? Do we carry on doing this? Do we kind of change the record a little bit? Do we, yeah. So, what do we do? Like, I'm what not really sure we've decided. What direction do we go in next? Yeah. yeah because you, you don't. You there's a there's a there's a rank, and then there is an acknowledgement that as a trio. That's what we were sort of, I was going to say selling, but that's the wrong word to use. But you know what I mean, like putting out there. Yeah. The product we'd created over the last couple of years, three years, four years, I can't remember what it is now, um, was something that we'd built together as a threesome. And what Terry brought to that is an expertise and neither of us have. So you lose that. And it's an acknowledgement again that, it isn't the same without Terry there because we lose, you know, the expertise that he has and had. <clears throat> so do but, we do makeup reviews? Do we do toy reviews? We decided, why not? We decided to do both of those things. <laughs> so welcome <laughs> to the extended. Um, I mean, for a start, Terry, 
because it's too emotional for me to go back to it, and because I fucking hate it as well. But that's sub, that's a completely that's a side point because it's too emotional to revisit. I'm going to retire the any other business section. Are you? Yeah. Oh, I had a massive one lined up today. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that and that trims. I was going to be talking about the podcast. <laughs> I had a. I've been researching like Tanzanian lightweights just for today. Because <laughs> I thought someone's got to fill the gap. <clears throat> someone needs. To, someone out there has a burning question about the the Kenyan straw weight division. They have. And they have. have and I am the now man. the expert. So you... come to me privately. Um, <laughs> come to me privately. Oh, we're not. Gonna I don't want to waste this knowledge. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I mean, on a serious note, we had debated what do we do, and I'm not really sure we've decided fully. Um, if we go back a few weeks and we talked about why we started doing this and what we kind of get out of it, um, and ultimately, nothing's really changed in terms of what we get out of it. And for me, that's turning up at Andy's house on a Sunday and getting to spend a few hours with my mate. <laughs> like and we'd always said I think right at the very very beginning if five people listened or if 5,000 people listened that doesn't change it's still just time I get to come and sit with my mate yeah. that we wouldn't have otherwise um, and we get to do what we want which is why we've never had anyone investing in it in any like yeah no one no one's gonna no one's gonna sponsor us for it because yeah. I'm about to call Manny Pacquiao a fucking drug cheat <laughs> so <laughs> so funnily enough Sponsors don't tend to love us. No. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, it is going to be different. There is going to be no Terry. We might end up inviting more guests on. We might not. We might end up stopping it in a few weeks. We might not. But I completely get where Terry was coming from about getting your Sunday back. And I met up with Terry on Wednesday of this week, or was it Tuesday? I can't remember which. I think it was Wednesday. When I met him for a beer after I had a meeting down in London. Um, and yeah, like I completely get his point of view and all the things that he's got going on with his life and will have going on with his life. Fair play to him. Um, because it's a lot of hours on a Sunday. It's not just the two hours yeah. that we record. There's an hour either side of that where picking up from the station, dropping off at the station, a bit of a chat between the group of us. Yeah. Then there's the hour both sides of that which is travelling up, well, an hour and a half both sides of that, travelling yeah. up, travelling home. So look, I completely and utterly understand it. And we'll get together at some point in the future. There are plans to go out on the piss sometime before the end of the year, probably down in London. May even do it with listeners, like get a group together. Um, so yeah, it's cool. We carry on as we are for now. Yeah, and you can continue listening or not. I mean, it's always been the, it's all, that's always been the way. I like the ultimatum. <laughs> well, it's like don't complain. This is free shit. <laughs> Listen or don't. But on the flip side of that, what I would say is I I love the fact that people enjoy it. That's what I you know because I I myself listen to podcasts and there are certain podcasts I have that I really enjoy. And if this is a podcast that you do enjoy, I can't begin to sort of. Um, articulate just how much that means to me that we're putting out something that people look forward to listening to. Yeah, it's stuff like, and I can't remember the guy's name, so apologies completely. Um, I sent you the screenshot the other week of the lad who'd tweeted saying about he was going in for toe surgery and was listening to us oh, as yeah. he was about to go and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, brilliant. If we've made your day a little bit better, 
brilliant. I'm really chuffed by that. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that makes it a pleasure to do. Um, and the people that we've met doing it. And again, you go back to like the things that we've done with Terry there, the two live shows, the piss up in Manchester, all these things have just been brilliant experiences of things yeah. that we probably wouldn't have done without the three of us, to Madness, be honest, because yeah, it needed yeah. a little bit of input and impetus from all of us. So yeah. they're just, yeah, they're great things. And like, I wish Terry nothing but the best and continue to do so. And we'll be in touch with him all the time. There's no falling out. There's nothing like that. It's just Terry wanted his life back on a Sunday and I do not blame him. Again! It's been seven Seven hours and 15 days. Why didn't she start with the 15 days and then seven hours? I don't know. The logical. Yeah. Yeah, She was was upset. Terry had left her as well. Terry leaves all the women, doesn't he? That's what he is. He's. He's a Lothario. He's a womanizer. <laughs> In the words of Britney Spears. Okay, uh, right, should we get on to the agenda? Was she singing about Terry? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. That's cool. what Terry told me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> right, so, there we go. Start with... The, so this is, mo- this is sort of like... This is the New Age Boxing Podcast. And welcome to the Norwegian Boxing Podcast with me, Andy Whites, and with me today, Mr. Martin Theobald. Terry who? <laughs> Terry who indeed. I not even remember the name. Uh, so, how's your weekend been? Uh, child related, just because the wife's been busy doing dancing stuff, I've been on child duties. Um, so yeah, it's been, I'm drained, I'm drained. You look... Emotionally exhausted. No, yeah. mentally exhausted. I don't know. I don't know how Do to pin it down. I've done like 36 hours of it pretty much. Oh, sweet. That's a week's work. Straight there in a day. Yeah. There are women out there and men, but predominantly women, that are about to have six weeks of doing that over the school holidays. Fucking wish you lot luck. Do you, do you reckon there's... Couldn't do it. Do you, do you reckon there's... Like, there's a high rate of suicide around Christmas, which you wouldn't expect because <laughs> people get pressure... From all of so that. I'm not laughing at that, but I can see where this is going. <laughs> it's not an appropriate time to laugh. <laughs> Before the six weeks holidays, do you reckon? Mate, there, honestly, there is not a chance I could do that. <laughs> I couldn't. I admire anyone that can entertain the kids for six weeks. <laughs> it's beyond me. So how's your weekend? Uh, my weekend was fun. Went to um, my mate's wedding. I know it's already. We've spoken about it. We did. The, uh, only doing what? this for the podcast, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's for effect. The band was so loud that my ears are still ringing now. So that they were, was, they that were better than his band, he said as well. They were better than my band. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do they listen? I, I suspect not. <laughs> you fucking hope not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, it was good. It was good. It was really good. And then 
That's it. And whatever. I woke up this morning, had like 12 hours sleep last night. Something you don't get very often with kids. Never. Never. That's why I text you like half 10 today and then you never fucking text me back. That's correct, because I was asleep. Yeah. Um, but no, I was up at like half three this morning with my daughter. No, I was debating getting up to watch a Pacquiao fight live, but I would need as many drugs in my system as Pacquiao has to be able right. to get so up. So do you want to talk about Pacquiao first? We or? can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's do it then. Pacquiao versus Keith Furman. Can I ask, do you know what the age difference between these two is? 10 years. <laughs> right. 40 years old, Manny Pacquiao. 40 years old. <sighs> now... Right. Oh, right. Okay. Can I just? Can I? You listened to that sports science yes. podcast, as did I. At some point, I would like to talk as though people have listened to that podcast because I know at least three or four people yeah, yeah. got in contact with me and said, "Can you give me a link to that podcast?" So there's a lot of our listeners that would have listened to that, and maybe such as well, me anyway, just the same as me. My eyes were opened yep. by that. So. On that basis. <laughs> Do you know what? I can't watch Avengers films and I can't watch Star Wars and I can't watch Star Trek because I can't believe if Suspe- something's beyond... The dis- of disbelief is just too much for you. Yes. Right, okay. When I watched the Manny Pacquiao fight, <laughs> yeah. I had that same feeling. Now, let me be clear about this. Um... He fought Jeff Horn over in Australia a few years back. And I think the vast majority of boxing pundits, fans, people with an interest in the sport would accept at that point that he was fairly washed up. Um, Jeff Horn is no great shakes of any sort. And he's proven that. You know, he went with Terence Crawford and got walked over by Terence Crawford. Manny Pacquiao lost to him. On point, a contentious points decision that he could have won. He went away for a year after that to go and do politics in the Philippines, and he became whatever he is. But he has got political power running through his veins right now. He <laughs> nice. is full of political power, um, and he's come back and he he outworked Broner. And he, no, the first fight he had back was over in Malaysia, was it? I'm going to look it up now because that's going to annoy me. Um, But he had a fight somewhere in absolutely no man's land for boxing. Um, And this was his first fight back after 12 months out. Which there should have been alarm bells for. He fought Lucas Matisse. Lucas Matisse, the machine Lucas Matisse. Only been stopped twice in his career. Once was by Manny Pacquiao in the seventh round. And Mac- <clears throat> Manny Pacquiao at the time being, what, 39? Mm, yeah. Four? Right, okay. This took place in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Now, to the best of my knowledge, there will be very little in the way of drug testing out in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. What's that got to do with anything? No, I'm just saying. Right, okay. Because it's... Cause... Nothing at all. Right. Because... But the sense I was getting from you there is that because he's involved in politics means that you, you, you're suggesting that that increases boxing ability. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Power politics. Right, okay, cool. Political yeah, yeah, power yeah, yeah. in his veins. So yeah, that was after a year. Uh, what was it? Yeah, pretty much a year to the day after the Horn loss. He came back and stopped Matisse. 
Now, bear in mind, he hadn't stopped anyone, Manny Pacquiao, at that point for nine years. <laughs> nine fucking years. Yeah, but he wasn't in politics. He took the year out to go and do politics in the Philippines and got his first stoppage in nine years when he came back against a man who'd only been stopped once and fought. Matisse's a legit world-level fighter. It was over the hill a little bit at that time. Comes okay. back, outworks Adrian Broner, and then fights Keith Thurman last night. No Vada testing for the fight, apart from, I think, maybe five weeks out. Go back to that podcast you were listening to yeah. about how you can get the effects of uh, doping long before you need to be in that ring. Well, also, if they know... If, if you know, know when the when, testing's going to start... Yeah, you, can pres- you can arrange your cycles around that and know when your half-life of your drugs is kicking out. And also, so he could have just gone, right, I'm getting tested there, so I'll take my drugs before and after that. Not that he's taking drugs, of course. Uh, political power. Uh, oh, political power is running <laughs> through his veins, and good luck to him. What I don't want this to be is calling out Manny Pacquiao alone because the sport, I have no doubt whatsoever, certainly in light of that other podcast and the other sports, is likely riddled, riddled yeah. with drugs cheats, top to bottom. I personally um, think, I personally think you're deluded if you think that it's not, it's not absolutely rife with it across the sport and all sports. Football, I've always said before to you privately anyway, I, there's a certain There's too team. much money on the line for people not to be doping. There's at least one certain team on one historic certain team that I've 100% always Barcelona. said... Barcelona. <laughs> love that song, don't you? Such you a beautiful song. horizon. Um, Barcelona. And their manager actually got banned twice for taking Nandrolone so, at the time. So, it'd be, it'd, yeah, anyway, so, so let's go back to Pacquiao. What right, I don't want yeah. it to be is to say... He won because he may or may not have been enhanced. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, even if he is, he's 40 years old. He's put his body through hell over the yeah. years. You still need to train. There's one thing we learned from that podcast. You still need to train. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not doubting anything. He's still got boxing ability at 40 years old yeah. that the rest of us could only dream of. He's still got an engine on him. He's got all these things about him. He was attacking that body of Thurman. Go to the 10th round. He attacks that body of Thurman and Thurman cripples over. Like, oh, look, like, you know, like an old woman pushing along like a, <laughs> a shopping. Frame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, a Zimmer frame will do. Um, and Thurman went on the retreat and he was like, he was hunched over. Pacquiao still got, Pacquiao still within the top three welterweights in the world at 40 years old. You've got Spence, you've got Crawford, you've got Pacquiao. Um, I don't necessarily think he beats either of those two. You could see why Thurman hasn't fought Spence because Spence would obliterate that body of Thurman. If you look at what Pacquiao did to him, now imagine Spence doing the same. He would annihilate him. Pacquiao drops Thurman in the first round. A bit of a flash knockdown. Like Thurman sits and smiles on the canvas. It's not the end of the world for him. But the first half of that fight, Pacquiao just dominates. Um, just outworks him. Thurman's trying to do the ring generalship thing of kind of taking centre ring, but Pacquiao's just, he's too clean, he's too quick, he's too sharp, all the way through it. Thurman comes in second half of the fight, but Pacquiao is extraordinary, he's unbelievable. Um, But I don't hate on that at the end of the day. I just can't believe what I'm watching. I can't believe what I'm watching. Um, It's a tough one, isn't it? Um, You you want to see sport in excellence. I think my attitude has always been... What used to bug me when I used to watch 
like athletics, for example, on, on BBC. Can you remember the javelin for us, Steve Black? I Backley. Think Backley. <clears throat> he used to he used to be sort of proper righteous about it on there, going, "Oh, drugs cheats this, drugs cheats that." Just like, and he, but his attitude was. And you, I mean, it's difficult to necessarily argue with this in a in a binary sense. Like he used to go, if someone was caught cheating, he was, he it was, it was like it was almost like he was the head of a lynch mob. Get, you know, get Bell rid of you style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, until that had been proven, he was over the top generous with his praise of people. And I just thought to myself, you're 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 all kidding yourselves if there's not. People, there'll be people like Marion <coughs> Jones in the sport now who will come out in 10 years' time and tell everyone that they were doping at the time. There will be people out yep. there. So I feel like, as, of course, you can't call people out when you don't have evidence for it, but the whole conversation about doping needs to take a turn. But if you look at the red flags around Manny Pacquiao, knocked out as a flyweight. As a flyweight, he was knocked out. He's gone up from flyweight through all the weight. He's an eight-division world champion at 40 years old who isn't showing any sign of deterioration. And he's been knocked out clean in that time. Marquez left him face down on the canvas. He's had, I don't know, 70 fights maybe, something like that. Um, Why is he still fighting? Is it money? I, I'd imagine there are there have been rumours of money being required for him. Um, tax bills that are unpaid and such. But I don't know. I think I'd imagine he likes fighting still. Um, but yeah, you look at... <clears throat> he's still got a chin. He got knocked out as a flyweight. There have to be question marks over a welterweight that's moved up through the eight weight divisions. Flyweight, super flyweight, bantamweight, <laughs> super bantamweight, all the way through. And he still carries power to knock over welterweights at 40 years old. <laughs> and he still carries a chin that can take flush shots off of a big welterweight in Keith Thurman. These are the issues that I have with yeah. it. These are the problems that I sit there and think, I can admire what you're doing, but I don't believe it. My question would be, what can you take to enhance your chin? If it were. <sighs> if it were, you know what I mean? I'm no expert on these things, but I'm sure there are things that can make your resistance... And your neck strength stronger. Yeah, there's that, I suppose. Um, but as I said, what I don't want to do is take anything away because he still had to perform the rest of it. Mm. Um, and what he did was very, very good. Keith Thurman's an undefeated boxer prior to last night. He fought legitimate names. Right, so here's a question for you then. If, if you and I sat in a room very far removed from the whole thing, quite confident that Pacquiao has indulged, so to speak. Um, why is Thurman willing to put his unbroken record on the line for that? Is it purely money? I think he probably thought he could beat him anyway. He's got 10 years on him. Oh, okay. I think he reckoned he could beat him. I'm and sure you, he reckoned he could beat him. Do you, yeah, and you reckon that the other contenders in that division would beat Pacquiao? Say Spence. They should. They should. Spence and Crawford should beat him. What was Pacquiao's over... Did, did Pacquiao absolutely destroy Thurman? No, not oh, at all. Okay. The second half of the fight was close. Pacquiao had done enough in the first half to secure it. 
Right, okay. Um, plus the knockdown. The cards were close. I think it was um, two cards to one for Pacquiao. So it wasn't it wasn't a destruction at all. Um, but he did enough to win the fight, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I'm uncomfortable with it. Yeah, the whole the whole conversation around it, I find myself running into cul-de-sacs of what I kind of expect. You can't just allow it, as in that podcast, it becomes a race to the bottom and just people just, who's willing to put their most, their self most at risk in order to achieve. Go back a few years. But it's just... There was... Um, a f- oh, fuck, who was it? Paulie Malinaggi did um, uh, did an interview, a two-minute interview a few years back, where he talks about all of the red flags around Pacquiao. Um, mm. And he just calls it out as he sees it. Um, and basically says, it, it, as soon as the VADA testing kicked in and going up to the Mayweather fight, he was not very good. And there was a lot of testing going on at that point. As soon as the testing disappeared, he became a lot better again. Like, go and find it. As I said, it's a Paulie Malinaggi interview. Only about two minutes. And it's it's all the things, pretty much, that we've just gone through there. It's Yeah, that's what I'm not comfortable about. Through the magic of the internet, I can actually pull that up now. So, I'll uh, here we go. This is Paulie Malinaggi talking about Pacquiao. I do have something against him. I think he cheated. <laughs> so I do have something against him. I think he made his name off cheating. So, you know, I'm allowed into, I'm entitled to that opinion. It's a very educated opinion. It's a much more educated opinion than anybody else is going to offset that opinion, you know. Anybody else who tries to offset that opinion doesn't really have anything educated to, to offset it with. So, um, you know, I, I feel like he cheated on the way he up, and uh, I don't like that. I mean, you know, I feel like he put fighters' lives in danger. Uh, I feel like anytime we step in the ring, our lives are in danger. And if you, if you are that kind of garbage person to put an opponent's life more in danger by putting uh, ST, uh, P- PEDs in your system, uh, then uh, for me, you're a garbage person and you're a garbage individual, and I can't respect that. What makes you think that you feel he went ahead and did that? Um, huge weight rise uh, in a short, short amount of time, huge weight rise, um, not only not losing power, speed, and stamina, but actually gaining it and increasing it, even his chin increasing. Um, you know, uh, these are things that just don't come up with you when you move up to weight, weight classes. The reason it is impressive to move up weight classes is because fighters have to show different wrinkles as they move up the weight classes. Manny Pacquiao didn't show any different wrinkles as he moved up his weight classes. He just did the same thing he always did, yet he didn't pay for it as he moved up the weight classes. His defense is always poor. His offense is always electric. Um, these are just things that don't happen as you move up the weight classes. Um, you have to kind of give and take. And that's why it's been so impressive in the past to move up in weights because you kind of have to add new wrinkles to your style in order to succeed. Um, once you ran them drug tested them, he became very, very, very unimpressive to me. And uh, the Mayweather fight was the culmination of, uh, uh, of the fans immediately just being duped for the past five years. And uh, they deserve to pay that $100 and get duped. You know, as I told, I told everybody this is going to be the fight. Once you random drug tested them, I told everybody this was exactly the fight you were going to get. I've been saying it for five years. And so if you paid that $100 thinking you were going to get a good fight, you deserve to be duped. Go pay your $100 and eat it because I'm laughing at you. Well, there you go. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mince his words. So does that... That's from a few years back. That's not even like since the the return and the improvements of Manny Pacquiao. Does that detract from 
How much of that's of his career does that detract from for you? A lot. I mean, how do you view Pacquiao? How do you view him as a boxer in the? He's an all-time great. He's an all. As I say, like all of this is offset by the fact that he's in a sport where I've no doubt many others are doing the same thing, and he wouldn't have achieved what he's achieved without loads and loads of training, practice, heart, desire, all these things. They're, they're all still there. Skill. They're all still there. But there are massive red flags about the achievements. But there are massive red flags about lots of people's careers. So you can't detract it all by any means. But there will always be question marks on it. Okay, so uh, what next? I don't, I don't know. Like Pacquiao versus Fury? or <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he wants to do, Pacquiao. Like If he wants to go and try and take on the young guns in Spence and Crawford, cool, let him do that. But he's a PBC fighter, so that's not going to happen. Um, so, I don't know, just fight some PBC welterweights, Danny Garcia or whoever else is about, I'm sure. What about Thurman? I don't know. Rematch it. Rematch it. I'd be all right with that. It wasn't a bad fight at all. Um, I don't see any harm in having a rematch between the two. Do you think if Thurman, after watching that fight, do you think addressing certain things he could come back and potentially win. Yeah, 100%. And if he didn't get dropped, it might be a different outcome. That was round one. Yeah. If that And it wasn't a hard knockdown. He was perfectly fine on the back of it. But he needs to address his body issues because any other welterweight that he fights now will have noticed how badly he right. it affects him. I say he curls up into a ball almost and goes on the retreat and shows those obvious signs of, of pain and like panic that... Um. Yeah, lots of people would feast on that. Okay. Uh, let's then go backwards on the timeline to Friday night. Ultimate boxer. I'm a boxer up in Manchester, Altrincham Ice Arena. I think it was <laughs> the natural place. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not the home of boxing, but cool. Um, I love these ultimate boxer tournaments. I just think they're mad yet fun. So these were cruiserweights. So it's ideal for cruiserweights, really, because it's three-round fights. You've got big lads that are going out just chucking bombs at one another. And after three okay. rounds, they're pretty much, like, knackered anyway. Um, and they need to go off and rest because it's not a natural fight for a cruiserweight. A cruiserweight doesn't normally go out for nine minutes and try and knock their opponent's head off if they're in a, a longer... If it's a ten-rounder, they're not going to take that approach. Um and the only one in there who's really fought over championship distances was Tony Conquest, who's the most accomplished out of all of those boxers um, through his career. And he got knocked out in the first round of the first fight he was in. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so look, there were, there were just the some... one that fought on the Italy zone. He was, yeah. Oh, oh, well done you. I'm impressed. <laughs> that was as condescending as it sounded. <laughs> um, um, so are they all... Are these ultimate, indulge me for a second and my lack of knowledge, but are these ultimate boxer things, are they always just three rounders? Yeah. Yeah, they're, um, they're three round fights. Almost sounds like a cadenced version of boxing, like a, almost like a five-a-side so, tournament. Have you ever been on this podcast before? Because <laughs> we've discussed loads of these. Yeah, I know it's the name, but I haven't really... Yeah. All right, so you, for those who didn't watch it or whatever, um, you start off with eight boxers at the beginning of the night. And they're paired off against one another. Is it eight? Yeah, it is eight. 
Um, and they're in three-round fights. And whoever wins that three-round fight progresses to the next round, into the semifinals. Oh, okay. And whoever wins the semifinals progresses to the finals. So potentially you're boxing nine rounds during the course of the night, um, just in shorter three-round chunks, essentially. Um, that does sound pretty cool, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, it's only the fourth one, Andy, so never and, too late to get on board. And we've, all, and we've, put, we've discussed imagine- every single one of them. <laughs> Never too late to get involved, mate. This could be for you, you know. For fuck's sake. I'm a new host. Unbelievable. <laughs> Before we get too much further into it, if they want to be taken seriously, which they do, I think. Like, this is on BT, so it's a big deal. Um, is, it? is it? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's on BT Sport. Prime time on a Friday night. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, they've got some decent sponsors that they're pushing out before the event they're becoming a big thing and it's good if you want to become a really big thing sack your MC the guy is is this the guy with the stupid hair or are you thinking of David Diamante that repeats everything yeah right no it isn't him but it's like a Tesco value version of him oh my god I know that's like did That's you... like a Neto version of like te- he's already a Tesco Value version, but it looks a bit like a uh, I don't know. It it looks like he's trying to copy DM. Oh, he's trying. Like he's got a hair bun going uh... on. Yeah. Um. But if anyone saw the Amir Khan show last week, they had that like slightly crazy guy that was on the mic there. It's like he's trying to be him. He's going, "Are you ready? Are you ready?" Uh, there's no class about it at all. And now I get it's it's a different form of boxing. It's a more um, fun type of boxing. That's what they're trying to bring to it. But that dude does you no favours whatsoever. He announces some of the weights wrong. Um, oh, excellent. Some of the records wrong. All these things. Like, it was wank. Good but, stuff. The event itself was fantastic. And like, if anyone gets a chance, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to read it out now. Go and find it. I retweeted it the other day. Damien Chambers versus Rassian Erlington is one of the best fights they've ever had on there. And the second round, if you've only got three minutes, the second round to that, again, I've, I've tweeted it the other day. The second round to that fight is one of the like most fun, exciting rounds of boxing you will ever watch. Um, they're great. But Mikhail Lawal won the whole thing. Now, Mikhail Lawal is a fighter who is signed to the Sowlands. Um, he's a big, big cruiserweight. And I've seen a lot of his career. like in the Because although he's signed to the Sowlands, he doesn't fight on their cards particularly. He seems to be um, a relic of when they were signing like British fighters, when they had Groves and Chisora and people like that. They had Lawal as well. But they never really found a home for him. So they've just loaned him out to other shows. So I've seen him on numerous shows during the early parts of his career. Um, and he's always impressed me. But he's also... It's almost like you think he was maybe bored of his career. Like, he wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't. He had the big name behind him, but not the big backing. He wasn't getting opportunities. I'm not really sure where his career was going. So to win Ultimate Boxer for him was fantastic. And the knockout in the final that he got was a highlight real knockout. I, I'm just chuffed for a while, but I'm chuffed for Ultimate Boxer because I think there's a real future for that format. 
the short form Absolutely. tournament that happens in one night. Um, you know, the World Boxing Super Series has kind of moved away. And Terry described it very well the other day. It's turned into a money grab. Like, as much as we're still going to get those brilliant fights, the uh, Regis Progre versus Josh Taylor fight to end the um, the super lightweights, we're still going to get that. We're still going to get Inoue versus Donaire. We're still going to get all of those. But they moved it away from the... Um, the initial genesis of what it was, which was a tournament that would happen over the course of 12 months, one boxing season to determine the best. You know, they now sell off the finals and it goes over the 12 months and it's kind of lost some of the momentum. It didn't have the British TV deal. That doesn't help it. Um, I I know you're not a fan of cricket, but 2020 cricket was like their revival of cricket. and and, And it is... It effectively is a different sport yeah. in a way that it's, it's obviously it has it's very it is the same sport but it's in terms of the way it's played it's a different sport and the Ultimate Boxer it, it, it's a different it is discipline that. It is entirely that. isn't it and you know it's a bit of a party atmosphere going on there okay um, no I just I enjoyed it I'm pleased for Ultimate Boxer that they seem to be getting that momentum they've got the big platform of BT behind them there's big money there's a £50,000 prize pot that gets shared out I don't know what the split is. Maybe twenty grand to the winner, ten grand each to the runner or the third and fourth or something like that. Oh, um, okay. <clears throat> but there's a fifty grand pot that goes out. Um, and yeah, from what it started off as Ultimate Boxer One to what it is now is a massive improvement. That was the one where Big Nasty was on Channel Five shouting fucking sea bombs out to the crowd. Yeah, and get I them do to- remember. I mean, I I realise that I haven't necessarily invested in this. But <laughs> but I do remember elements of that's it, where who, it started. So they're broadcasting BT Sport. Who is who is behind it all? A guy called Ben Shalom. Oh, okay. Um that is the the brains behind it, if you like, the owner of the concept. Um not a lot's known about Ben really. He's quite behind the scenes. You don't you don't hear from him that often. What it does lack maybe is that loudmouth promoter to sit at the front of it and and push it as a product. Um, and the other thing it lacks, and this isn't necessarily Ultimate Boxer's problem, but is a problem for... Well, I don't know, really. I don't know whose fault this sits with, but once you win it, there isn't necessarily a journey for the winner to go on. Um, so the lad that won the very first one was then fighting Louis Van Pooch on Friday night, live on the show in a four-rounder. Louis Van Pooch, who's had like 140 fights, like the archetypal journeyman. You know, he won that 12 months ago or something. Like, his career hasn't progressed to no. a point that you would hope that that, that boost would get. Isn't that going to... Ha- that would take time, though, wouldn't it, for it to gar- like garner the same sort of respect? Or- yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, it's, it's not ultimate boxers' fault. They don't manage the boxers. So whoever's managing the boxers ought to be doing a job with those lads once they've won it and yeah. pushing them on towards whatever yeah. titles they can grab. If you go back to the old days of prize fighter, which this is basically based upon, you had the likes of Martin Murray came through and it pushed his career... You know, no end. Chris Jenkins won it. Pushed his career, not as much at the time you'd have hoped, but it gave him the elevation he needed. Rocky Fielding, he came through prize fighter. All these people that got a boost. There were lots that didn't, but there were a few that did. And that's where... And again, it's not Ultimate Boxer's fault at all. At all. It's the no. people that are managing these boxers that win it. 
I guess it's like, it's almost a bit of both. I mean, if you could, once it garners enough prestige, yeah, then it makes it easier for the boxer's management to then exploit that. Yeah, to advertise them as the ultimate boxer yeah. winner. And whilst it doesn't, it makes it more difficult and therefore you need a better management, uh, like a, a better, more resourceful management structure to be able to then try and squeeze the life out of, out of a yeah. win for a The one boxer. that won the first one, I say Fort Van Pooch, um, Friday night. He only lives in Northampton. We all get him down. He could be one of our first guests Yeah, if we start doing this concept. Of, <coughs> of, of maybe having some... Are we, are we, cry- we going to cry every podcast before, like, just to, as a homage to Terry? Yeah, you know how, like, you see boxers in changing rooms before fights do the huddle, and, like, Tyson Furies, they say a Muslim prayer, they say a prayer, all these different... We're just going to cry, but in different formats. Like Oliver McCall, just to psych ourselves up. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do- whilst you were just editing something out there... I just looked at my Facebook memories. Three years ago today, we booked tickets to go and watch Fury versus Klitschko in Germany. No, four years ago, sorry. And that was for July 2015. the rematch never happened. No, was that the rematch or the first one? Oh, Christ. It was the first one. I, I can't remember. 21st July 2015. Fury versus... Klitschko. Uh, I think it, I thought we booked for the rematch. It was due to fight in October. God, I need to go and check the dates on it. Anyway, yeah, that's an aside. Um, right, so Art Boxer, that parked. Have we talked enough about that? Yeah, as I said, I just I'm really positive about Ultimate Boxer. What it is, where it's going, how it, yeah. the momentum is building. Um, I think there's a good future for the the product. Is this is that something? I suppose. That becomes your whole night, doesn't it? It's not something that a small hall boxing could emulate because it's diff- It's a totally different format, isn't it? You could if you wanted to, but you'd need to borrow fighters from lots of different promoters for a yeah. start. Who's got eight fighters in the same division yeah. around the same part of their career? And then you can only have one night with all those blokes and then you presumably you haven't... You don't do the same eight blokes every single yeah <laughs> every single week yeah. or whatever. And plus, you know, the part of the appeal and the attraction of that is there's fifty thousand pounds, which is helped by having a TV station behind you, whether it's Channel Five originally or BT now. There's fifty grand up for grabs, which, as yeah. I say, if the winner gets say twenty, those lads fighting have still got to sell X number of tickets. They're yeah. still obliged to do so, but it's a big pot of money at the end. It's more than they'd have earned throughout their whole career. Okay, then let's move on to Matchroom. So, Terry <coughs> said this was the best pay-per-view since 2017. Was that it? what he said? Effectively, because he said it was the he said it was the the best pay-per-view since. Um, I think he meant. I think he said Klitschko. I think he was talking about Klitschko AJ. Um, I might be wrong. Eddie Hearn said this is one of the best cards they've ever put on. Now, was he saying that postcard or pre-card? No, pre-card. Pre-card. So, okay. So, on face value, you weren't here last week. Would you have agreed with that? No! (laughs) No! If you could see the look of incredulity on Martin's face. I'd have to get Manny Pacquiao out of my nut to think like that. So, this is the first time, I think, that Terry has... Quintus, like absolutely 100% agreed with Eddie Hearn. 
What this card had was some okay matched fighters, but for a pay-per-view, they're matched at the wrong levels. Like, if your right. expectation of what a pay-per-view is, is that you get the best versus the best, not one fight on there yeah. was anything near true, yeah. the best versus the best. It was just a bunch of, like, some upcoming, some have been there, and some are trying to get there still. Like, but nearer the top. Basically, but none of them are the best versus the if best. If you qualify a pay-per-view as well-matched fights, you might as well watch Dave from the Chip Shop versus Dave from the Pub. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, on that basis, we have... How many How many of these How many of these fights on this card would you say were, le- were lower than British-level fights? So, Aziz Duffield... React poor Billum Smith, you wouldn't have been upset if that was for a British, but the British is taken, so it can't be. A Coley versus some dude from the Argentinian embassy. <laughs> Price versus uh, Alum. They were the only all British fights anyway. Right. I mean, well, yeah, okay, national level, I suppose I should okay, have said. But four of them, yeah. minimum, are below a British title fight. Worth worth twenty quid then. If so, I look at who the British title holder is right now, and would they beat them? Yeah. Yes, four of them. Okay. Okay, so let's let's get on to the fights then, and sort of dig into those. I'm going to struggle with the early part of this. I tweeted a picture Saturday night when it was going on of I'd put the boxing on, but my lad was walking around the living room. Yes, I saw playing virtual reality. Um, your daughter and playing Keris princesses. Was, yeah, Kiris was going around being... She'd been to a princess party in the afternoon, so was still being a princess. So there's me just wanting to, like, sit down, put the box... Fuck all chance. Any parents out there will know what I'm on about. <laughs> my, my, I have to ask a question. Why your why Oscar had to, had to do VR in front of your TV? <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't you do that anywhere? The whole concept of VR being that he could he could basically do that in the shower if he wanted to. Um, okay, yeah. So what we've got is a Oculus Quest. So it's a uh, this is going off tilt, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. <coughs> so mind. it's a virtual reality headset where you get the two wireless hand controllers. It's like a full VR, but you don't need to run it through like a a powerful PC or a PlayStation. Right. You can just you could go into a field and play it. He could go into a fucking bedroom and play it. So the idea is you draw. Once you put the headset on, you draw your zone around you that you want to play in, and then that's it. It will tell you if you're approaching the walls and the boundaries. It's really cool. It's a great oh, little thing. That's cool. Um, yeah, so he could easily go into his bedroom and do that. But instead, <laughs> he wanted to interrupt my watching of the boxing on a Saturday night. Right, so on that basis then, so I didn't let's have... A VR princess version of Dan Aziz Chai Duffield. Well, Oscar was doing really well at the... Yeah. It's got a game on there. Virtual reality jobs. So you're doing jobs. What? What? (laughs) Surely you fucking buy virtual reality games not to do your real life shit. What on earth do they do on these virtual reality jobs? It's it's all right. You you can go around doing like ones in a pizza shop or something. So like... (laughs) I don't know. Imagine how shitty it is. You've got to imagine you work for Domino's. 
Like, if that's your aspiration, I'm not criticizing people to work for Domino's making pizzas. Cool. But if you've got to go into virtual reality to be able to achieve that, there's issues, man. Yeah. There's issues. Although, but- if you ever did fancy, I fancy working for Domino's Pizza. It's not quite as simple as turning up and going, can I do a shift in your kitchen for the night? Lads, where's the pepperoni kept? Come on, let's get on this. <laughs> So yeah, you can do like, and then it, you can be um, an office worker. So you've got to like do various bits and then you work in a garage. So you've got to like fix a car, but it's all cartoony. It's quite fun. But um, yeah, anyway, that's not the box. So Aziz versus Duffield. Round one, princess <laughs> walks along in front of the screen. Yeah. Um, and that happened for every round subsequently. So right. I didn't really watch much of it. What, okay. what uh, did happen was I think it was probably the very first punch, stiff jab from Aziz, catches Duffield over his eye. And an eye problem that Duffield's had going back to his loss, his first loss and his only loss of his career before last night, which a few years back, we had a lot of problems outside of the ring, um, which he's opened up about now and before this fight. That same eye just went pop. And like started to swell immediately, the first punch. And so Aziz could just target that. But Aziz boxed beautifully from what I saw. Um, But I can't really give you a massive overview of it because I didn't see much of it. But he hammered Duffield. Duffield, frankly, wasn't good enough for that level. And whether that's because Aziz's level's above or because Duffield didn't perform or whatever it was, Aziz proved that he's the better fighter by a long way. And a, a clinical finish as well when he had the opportunity. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on then. So, uh, what? What? Actually, just briefly, what next for Dan Aziz? There's loads of fights out there for him. So, light heavyweight in British is brilliant at the moment. You could. It depends where they want to go with him. So, you look at the names that are available. You've got your Jake Balls, Craig Richards, Andre Sterling. Um, Joshua Boatzi. I'm not saying these lads will fight each other. There's a lot of issues over what gyms they're at because you can't expect lads in the same gym to fight one another despite what people will ask for. Um, (laughs) So they're all at different stages of their career. Craig Richards a lot further on than Dan Aziz. Um, But there's so many potential fights out there going around. Andre Sterling, Dan Aziz would be a cracker of a fight um, I don't know what they'll do with him he's an MTK fighter he's been brought through on MTK shows um, whether he goes back to that or whether Matchroom take an interest in him hopefully they will because he earned his slot after last night Charlie Duffield sounds pretty terminal mm. this eye problem yeah so he he tweeted something out this afternoon saying look congrats Dan Aziz far better than I was um he's going to take a look at what he does with his career I think and he wants to carry it on he was saying he still wants to fight but his his eye and his wife might be telling him otherwise Mm. so it's such a shame if that's the case he's still just a young man he could still achieve things in the sport maybe not the levels that he thought he could achieve but we're going to come on to it later I think around boxers that um, you know, maybe need to call time on their careers. It's ma- it's mad for me to think. Like as I've sort of spoken to you privately before, I've ever mentioned the podcast. It's it's weird that in spite of you know, I say it on this podcast, I'm a casual fan, and I am for the most part. I don't I don't really get involved in the small hall scene, and certainly not to the extent that you and and 
<clears throat> formerly Terry would. Um, and that sort of thing. But I've been, boxing has been sort of in and around my life for 20 years. I joined the army and boxing, all my mates that I was close to in the army, they're all into the you know, boxing tournaments. And I was constantly getting like asked to get in the ring because it was just part of it, just trying to get as many people into the boxing team as possible. Um, and I always sort of steered away from it because from the very outset, you know, that, that old adage, don't don't box if you don't want to get punched in the face. It, it just hit home with me. I don't want to get punched in the face. Well, don't box then. That was their, yeah. But there is always a part of me that sort of thought, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if I'd have been any good. I'll never know that because I'll never even try. I suspect I probably wouldn't have been, but you know what I mean? It's that question you, and you wonder what it would have been like. And then you sort of, to extend that, you sort of think, oh, you know, I wonder what it would have been like to do this. I wonder how I would have reacted if I'd have been invested in a sport, if I had been good and then I'd have lost. What would I have? And you, you know, when you hear stories about certain boxers and you wonder how you would react in those circumstances. But the one that always gets me is when you hear about boxers like Chai Duffield and um, the guy you sat next to, and I've forgotten his name. Anthony Agoga. People, those guys that put themselves in harm's way or are trying to get over these it's with their eyesight specifically, they want <clears> to <throat> box even though it could disable them. We well, look at Kel Brook, it, it, the faceplate that yeah. he's had to have around his eyes. It blows my mind. It blows my mind that like I I couldn't I didn't even want to get punched in the face. <laughs> and these guys are willing to go through yeah. hell just to what? You know, like, Chai Duffield, if he fights again, it's not going to be for £10 million and he can, you know, he's doing it for the love of the sport. And it's just, yeah, it blows my mind. It really does. The, the yeah, things Duffield, Duffield would be boxing for a few thousand pounds as he works his way up. Being honest about it, his level might be an English title. He's not going to be boxing for world titles. and He's not going to be, as you say, for millions of pounds. He does it because that's his passion. It boggles my mind. I have such massive respect for these people coupled with sometimes a concerning fear for them that mm. they need someone caring in their ear to guide like them. you say his wife tried off as well yeah to say maybe it's because then there are people who you know become cases where you look at and think why didn't someone say something sooner um about moving on richie react poor chris billam smith yeah, so a couple of big cruisers. Reactpool wins this on points. Um, split decision. <laughs> Again, my, my viewing was slightly interrupted. <laughs> so I'm struggling really to recount all of it. What happened? It was a bit of a shitty fight. I wasn't that bothered the kids were annoying me. I loved the fight on paper. So when we're talking about... Do you judge the, the pay-per-view before or after kind yeah. of thing? This is a great fight on paper. Credit to Herm for putting it on. Credit to the lads for taking it. But the gel of their styles was awful. Um, and they must have spent a third of the fight like tangled up and going into the ropes and kind of being separated. And Chris Billum-Smith, it turns out, can't fight very well on the inside. 
react poor, can fight better on the inside, but shouldn't be fighting on the inside. He's a big man. He's like Lawrence Acoli. Chris Billum-Smith is trained by Shane McGuigan, who also has Lawrence Acoli in his camp. So it would have been the perfect um, way to prepare for it, to have Acoli, you know, on the other side of the ring in, in camp. Um, what Billum-Smith did well was he was throwing punch... Like he'd throw the left or he'd throw the right or he'd throw the jab and then the right and as he did it he would fall in so what you don't want to do with Reactpool is stand away from him and allow Reactpool we saw it against Sam Hyde he's got devastating right hand power devastating <laughs> he was the one when he hit Sam Hyde he just broke Sam Hyde's face basically Aww. and immediately started to come up and they had to stop the fight um, Reactpool's got that power and so what Billum Smith did was, was, was very clever in that he would, if he was going to engage with him, he would throw just a simple one-two or sometimes just a one. And as he did it, he would fall into the shot so that Reactpool couldn't fire off himself and he would just get into that space where Reactpool couldn't use the extension of the arms to detonate shots. What it also meant is that the fight was a bit shitty to watch because there wasn't the space for Reactpool to detonate those shots. So he nullified his biggest weapon. Yeah, uh, it was wise. It just, <laughs> it wasn't pretty to watch it all. Um, as I said, I didn't really watch it all because I was also busy doing other stuff. This is, this is going to get better, I promise you, listeners. This well, is... You don't know that. <laughs> you don't well, know that. Your children have to go to bed at some point, I'm presuming. <laughs> Let's move on to, look, I, I know I've, it's going to be a bit of an odd request, but could you really, really rush through this Akoli review? Done. Ah, okay. <sighs> no, I, I, do you know what? I didn't even watch this. I don't like watching Lawrence Akoli. You know we're going to get pelters for this. Now, at this point, I just want to say, I, I am sorry if you're going, oh, for fuck's sake, you're a boxing podcast and you weren't watching your fights. Which like, is fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That's all I can say to you. I was at a wedding last night and Martin had children dancing in front of him. So, so I, no, even if I didn't have children dance in front of me, I still wouldn't have watched this fight. <laughs> okay, but I just want to say to people, I, I apologise in advance, so you don't have to send a load of angry tweets. But Which you will. Yeah, about the fact... That Good on you. you. You, Like, I don't know what else to say to you. I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't give a fuck. Turn it off. Well, I'm not that sorry, because I don't watch boxing ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I wouldn't have watched this Lawrence O'Coley fight if I was the ref, Lawrence Cody fights don't do a lot for me at the moment because he's kind of doing the same thing in each fight. Um, now, maybe the switch to Shane McGuigan will change his style. We'll see. When he gets a competitive fight. But he's the British champion. Now, his fight fell out against Jack Massey up in Manchester, so I feel for him with that. But they fly in this Argentinian and tell us that he's going to be game and he's going to be tough and he's going to be this, that and the other. The guy genuinely just kept falling over from what I've seen of it. Like I went off and played with my lad for a little bit in his room, doing some other stuff. But the bits I switched back for, or came back for, this Argentinian bloke just kept diving all over the place and like running from... Akoli, which I don't blame him because he shouldn't have been in the same ring because he clearly wasn't good enough to be in the ring with Lawrence Akoli. So don't give us that on a fucking pay-per-view. What you were saying earlier about, you know, <laughs> is this the best card or one of the best cards matching we've ever put on? No! 
because you can't have Lawrence Acoli against this Argentinian bloke and sell us that as a pay-per-view because it's a farce. Anyway. Okay, moving on then. Derek Chisora, Arthur Spilska. So this was... Look, Spilska was giving Wilder nightmares until this was the one Wilder sparked out cold, which I realise may not narrow it down necessarily, but... He knocked out Spilska so bad. He's the one that Spilka shit himself when he landed. <laughs> I didn't know about this. Yeah. Like, no. he was knocked out so badly, <laughs> he shit himself. Wow. That is, that is, that is unlucky. Yeah. Um, so Spilska, he was on top in that fight. He was giving Wilder problems. So Spilska's this old um, like football hooligan from Poland. He's a right. tough-looking bastard. You know, Chisora comes in with a face bandana. Yeah, he he's got one of those himself, and so it's it's like I don't know. It looked like something Battle out of the of, Lunatics or something. Yeah, like a PlayStation game. Like that's how you would end up with two characters that you've made yourself in a fighting game. So, would you like? Is Arthur Spilsker a bit? Like a, look, looks like a madman. Um, purely on face value, does he look like a like a crazy madman? Yeah, like you would cross the street if you saw him coming. Chisora is a certified mental case by like when he <laughs> flips tables and stuff at press conferences. He is one scary dude. So I, yeah, both of these you would happily like if you're walking down the street at night oh, on your mate, own. No chance. I would scream, running away like a girl screaming. Um, in fact, probably there's probably more girls out there tougher than me. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, put the yeah, two of them right. in the ring, and Chisora's hot and cold, isn't he? You know, he he had that Cabiel fight where Cabiel was a mover; he couldn't pin him down. Um, he's had those Dillian White fights that were incredible, great fights to watch. And so the Spiltzka one, it could it could have gone either way because Spiltzka's more of a he'll come and fight type than Cabiel ever is. Can I? Can I ask you before? Sorry to cut you off in mid-flow there. No, you're but not. What does this, on face value, before the fight happens, what does this fight potentially do for either of these two boxes? Nothing. Right. So That's what I was fearful of, actually. It kind of it keeps you floating where you are, but doesn't move you on. Um, you know, it's not going to get you a world title. I don't know with Chisora right now what the, the aim is. Yeah. So, Has I think he been they, British champ? Uh, did he ever win it? He fought Fury for it early on in his career. I'm sure he has won it at some point in his career. But, um, Sorry. Sorry, I won't get off again. Whether they've still got the aspirations that they can get like a Wilder fight for him, I don't know. Or whether Matchroom are using him so that Warren can't use him. So if you look at Frank Warren's stable, he's got the Dubois, Joyce, Gorman set up. Um... And Chisora would fit in perfectly to a Dubois fight or a Joyce fight. And so by Matchroom keeping hold of him, it stops. It kind of cock blocks that from happening, maybe. Um, to what? Like, just to nullify one of their cards, like one of their options, rather. Yeah, because that would be a cracking fight. Joe Joyce versus Derek Chisora. Or maybe in 12 months' time, Daniel Dubois versus Derek Chisora. Yeah. So to stop that happening, if you can keep hold of Derek Chisora, because from what I understand, he's not on a matchroom contract. He's just on matchroom shows. If you can keep him doing that, keep paying him well enough, um, then keep hold of him and stop him going to Warren. So on that basis then, Warren could offer a better deal for yes. him. 
which obviously doesn't care that much about if he doesn't. I think Chisora would go where the money is at this yeah. point in his well, career. And, and um, rightly so. Right, it's, it's not a criticism. Yeah. It's just an observation. Um, but going to the fight, like, it was a two-round fight. Have you seen the finish? I have not. But I heard that it was stone cold. So, let's just go to the They finish. were talking about it last night. It was getting around the venue, like, how bad it was. Yeah, so Chisora loads up to the left of the body. Not too hard, but just enough to get the attention of Spilka, the left to the body, and then comes upstairs, big right hand, catches Spilka's face. You know in those punches where the nose grinds across the face? <laughs> and he, I think he's out at that point. And then he throws a left hand, Chisora, kind of skims, doesn't really hit the target. And at this point you're thinking, jump in, like the ref needs, to, uh, and the ref's still looking. Like, um, who was it David Price fought when exactly the same... Uh, Povetkin. Oh, P- Povetkin, sorry, um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that, but uh, it happens really quickly, and Chisora is a finisher, you know, like, he's a bad man. He gets that opportunity, and so he hits the second right hand, bang! <laughs> Fully loads up on it, and Spilker's head just goes, oh. and he's out cold on his, like, as he's landing. You can just see a, a man who's unconscious landing on the floor. I'm going to find it for you now, Andy, just so you can get a... Right, I'll watch uh, it, and we'll come back. Uh, wow. <laughs> So you just watched it, right? And uh, That was so much power. So it's, it's the right hand into the body that starts it, and then the left hand into the body. And then he's rotated back. So he's on the left of the body, so all his body weight is now on the right hand side. Yeah, and it's that and one. And he loads up. Yeah. Bang! Yeah. Catches him. So powerful. And you were right what you were saying about if he had his guard up, Spilka, if he'd have caught that on his left hand or on his cheek, it would still have reverberated through his mm. head done the damage then he throws a left again to the head that the catching but then it's that right hand that right hand at the end looks like you know when you're at the the fair or whatever and there's one of those punching machines (laughs) that's what it looks like Chisora's going on it's like right I've got free hit of this I could turn my body full rotation to fucking power through it oh man like when Chisora's in that mood and that zone, he is a dangerous fighter. He, he looks devastating when he does stuff like that. And you think, wow. But then other times he just no. he loses in Monaco. Yeah. You know, like, and just doesn't seem to want to come And I know there was, there was stuff behind that, like Don Charles didn't travel over and he wasn't in the right mental space with it. You kind of, watching last night with Chisora, with that finish, with a fighter, Spilker isn't, world level necessarily but he's not far off and you see what Chisora does to him with that finish when he pins him on the rope and he loads up with all that you kind of sit there thinking what could have been the last seven eight years your career like if you'd if you could always find a way to tap into that Derek Chisora what could have happened and maybe there's still that Indian summer to his career maybe he can go on and and still achieve something. And who would begrudge it? Who would begrudge Chisora having two years now? And I know the question marks and the, the naysayers would always say, well, White beat him twice. But the first one, did he really beat him? I'm not convinced. The second one, yes, he did. That massive knockout. But Chisora was still in the fight and he was up on the cards. Yeah, and also, yeah. And also White is on the cusp of that elite part of the division yeah. as well and he like white didn't take him apart white didn't 
you know, it wasn't a one-sided fight by any means. Chisora still got that argument to say, I'm at that level. Well, I, I see, I'd look at it like this. If you add, there's, there's four, heavyweight, four heavyweight belts, right? If tomorrow they got all scattered and you had to create four fights, you could... So you needed eight fighters. Legitimately, Derek Chisora could be one of those fighters. I don't think you could object. Yeah. If you said, like, we're going to have Joshua Ruiz, Wilder Fury, White... Um, Ortiz then you're scratching around then you're looking for two others the best of the rest yeah nobody could really object to Chisora and like there's talk of he might be fighting Parker I'd like to see that that would be a good fight yeah so would I like yeah. and if he could do a job on Parker like he's done to Spilker there that's legit yeah and like I, I want two years now of Derek Chisora fighting How at that level he? About 34, maybe? 35? 35, I think. He's younger than us. <laughs> it's so weird Fuck, to think Fuck, I'm not like... having that. Right, I'm, <laughs> I'm Googling that now. I'm not happy That's about so that. so weird to think like that. No, no, no. He's no, a I baby. He's a baby by comparison to us. But That's upset me if that's true. Yeah, 35. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> Given what we know about the heavyweight division, what, I mean, obviously, maybe... Recent uh, regulars on this show would have been better asked, <laughs> better poised to answer this question. But what is the what is the end zone of uh, a boxing a heavyweight boxer's career? Because I know that when Fury is like twenty nine and stuff like that, albeit like twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty nine has been termed sort of he's a baby in comparison to heavyweight terms because they take longer to develop. Yeah. So at 35, I accept that he's still not at the beginning of his career, but has he still got, a, has he still got realistically over two or three years on his career? Klitschko went on to 40. Mm, yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. There are fair. cases where they go on longer, but there are cases which we're going to talk about shortly where they, they end or should end shorter. So it's not, there's not one rule just because you're a heavyweight. Yeah. And, you know, the younger, sorry, the smaller weights are meant to end earlier in their career. Manny Pacquiao hasn't political power <laughs> but he, he will be a 50 year old heavyweight so we can wait for he that he will he will <laughs> we follow the trajectory follow the line <laughs> he'll be he'll be sparking out blows he'll he'll walk into the ring puffed up like a balloon and he'll manage to <laughs> like a little look puffer in, fish he'll look like he'll look like some sort of weird cross between a puffer fish and butter bean and he'll manage to sm smash out the heavyweight boxer of the time. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, look, Chisora, fantastic. There's no point talking about the rest of the fight. That was the, the moment of the fight. It was only a two-round fight. Like, that was what you needed to see of that I've fight. been more sold on Derek Chisora over the last three years than I ever have. He's gone through the villain phase, isn't he? And, you yeah. know, you go back through... <laughs> When he was with the Sauerland and he fought Kubrat Pulev away in uh, Germany, I think it was. And he I fought Klitschko that, away in Germany and all these that things. That was when Fury was in his changing room, wasn't it? So yeah, that's right. He was like, oh, I told you you could have a rematch. after the, They'd already fought three times that. Twice, point. yeah. Oh, twice, um, But, you know, you, you look through all these things that Chisora's done. If someone now could just invest in Chisora and give him... I don't want to see him fed to Joe Joyce particularly or... Yeah. Um, Daniel Dubois on the way up. I wouldn't mind the Joyce fight because I think that's a legitimate fight. I don't want him in three years' time to be fed to Dubois. Um, I want him to have his own career, to finish off his own career now. Here's a question for you. Let's assume Ruiz 
beats Joshua in the yep. rematch, right? If Ruiz decided to fight Chisora as like one of those easy, quote unquote, easy voluntary, fights, yeah, could Chisora potentially? He would struggle. Ruiz is a good mover. Yeah. And that's what Chisora struggles with. If Ruiz were happy to come and stand in front of him, the same way that when he found the weakness of Joshua was to throw combinations, stood inside the, the reach in the pocket and turned it into a gunfight with Chisora. <laughs> that's what you want. It, like, who wouldn't want to see that? The guns. Who wouldn't want to see that? <laughs> that gunfight, man. That's pow, 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 pow. <laughs> They'd have fucking tear up. Um, and you know Chisora would love to stand there with a Mexican a Mexican warrior and yeah. have it with him until just one of them falls. Boom, boom, trading, just constantly. It'd be incredible. I do I'm not love saying it. he wins it. I think uh, Ruiz would win it based on what we saw the Joshua fight. The combination he could put together would just be too quick for Chisora. Chisora needs yeah. a slower... Uh, he needs a Joyce. I think he would fucking wallop Joyce to pieces what we need what we need is to somehow construct a scenario where Chisora fights for a world heavyweight title and the odds are stacked in his favour we need a soft touch world heavyweight yeah. where's Charles Martin yeah. <laughs> you beat me to it <laughs> <laughs> where's the king where's the man who walks his earth like a god oh dear right okay uh, on to more oh don't know I'm not even I don't know Dave, Dave Allen versus David Price now this was a This was a tough one to watch, wasn't it? You haven't even watched it? No, but I know about it. How do you know it's a tough one to watch? Because I've heard about it. Heard about <laughs> it. <laughs> but well, am I right or am I wrong? No, you're right. But let's start with Knew it. David Price because it's going to be very easy to make this sound like we're taking away credit from David Price. He's back. Was he ever there? <laughs> He's back. You have to be somewhere to get back there. <laughs> He's finally found his right hand. Is that the, that's the narrative's going to be? It wasn't just the right hand. He found his jab as well. He could jab last night. He could throw sharp combinations. Jab, jab, right hand. Keep it simple. Use that that big extension that he's got of you know those, those wings that he's got of arms. Okay, so but before we talk about the fight, maybe could we perhaps ask the question: Could David Price be? Excellent boxer, and his biggest enemy is his own mind. If he gets into a fight, there's too much pressure. Mentally, he falls apart. 100%. And we're going to come on to exactly that point. Okay. So, that being said... Look, he's an Olympic medalist. He's an Olympic medalist. I think he got bronze. Like, you don't get a bronze medal for being shit. Deontay mm. Wilder's got a bronze medal. He's a world champion. Yeah. David Price is a legitimately talented boxer. It's the fact that he's never managed to um, master the art of managing a gas tank and he mentally seems to drain himself, which then damages the gas tank. But last night, so David Price boxed as well as I can ever remember him boxing since the Matt Skelton days, those fights. He was using the uppercut. He's got a brilliant uppercut, David Price. It doesn't get recognised because he doesn't use it often enough. But when he does, when someone's coming into the inside, Dave Allen's a lot smaller, remember? So he's coming inside. That was his biggest challenge, was to get inside the long reach of David Price. When he'd get in there, Price could throw that right uppercut, rip it through and knock the head back of Allen. 
David Price was hitting that. And even like, we're not used to seeing David Price in the seventh round, still able to throw combinations. But he was able to do it. Nice double jab right hand. Quick, sharp, powerful, snappy. So let's not take anything away. It was the best performance from David Price in years. Years and years and years. And it made you think maybe there's something in there still. But now you come to the other side of it. and You come to the Dave Allen side of it. And it was the worst performance from Dave Allen, I think I can remember. Dave Allen came into this in great shape. Dave Allen came into it looking physically brilliant, like he should have the gas tank. And so every sane person would say, look, it's for David Price to win it within six, David Allen to win it after six. That was just the general consensus, the feel of it. Could Dave Allen survive the right hand of David Price through the fight? But to make David Price gas for the second half of a fight, you need to mentally torture him in that ring. You need to be putting the pressure on, keeping the keeping the rhythm of the fight going. And David Allen didn't do that. And David Allen didn't... He's got terrible judgment of space between him and the opponent. So there were times when he would walk in and he'd get inside of that long jab of Price and he wouldn't do anything. Oh. And he'd be stood there then, almost like, right, fuck, now what? And there were times when he would get in there and he would do something. There were a couple of times he'd throw the left and the right hooks into the body, then rip the uppercut through the middle and knock the Price head back. But there were too many times that he would get inside the jab and then look for the big... You know that right hand that he knocked Nick Webb out with? Yeah. Just do that without setting anything up, without throwing the jab first, without doing anything, without fainting would just step inside, try and loop that right hand over the top. As if it's like a... You know when you used to play NBA Jam on the SNES? And after you've hit like three... <laughs> callback. Once you've hit like three <laughs> slam dunks, you've got your player on fire and you could just hit that, that three-pointer from anywhere on the court. <laughs> I think that's what Dave Allen assumed that he could do, was like he'd done that Nick Webb knockout and now that right hand, looping right hand, would just work. And it didn't. And David Price showed why he had that Olympic medal. Because he did the simple things very well. And he did them enough to break Dave Allen. Not the other way around. Not what people thought it'd be. Dave Allen toughing it out to take out David Price late on. And it was sad to see. And it was sad because Dave Allen took a lot of punishment in that fight. His eye, I don't know if you've seen it, eye fully closed up. Um, he couldn't by his own admission he couldn't see what was going on in the fight Um, I think he said I feel concussed I can see like five of him he had to ask his corner to stop the fight at the end of the 10th round excellent so I've got the question then for Darren Barker this is Darren Barker's first corner with Dave Allen there was no guidance for him in between rounds when it cut to the corners there was no guidance for Dave Allen as to what he could do to improve the situation, how he could turn these these fights around. Because we all know David Price wilts under pressure. And if you can get through those first two, three rounds, you then need to put that pressure on him. You need to up the rhythm, up the tempo, up the speed, start throwing combinations and pushing him back, keeping him on the ropes, not letting him extend those arms and catch you on the way in, making him 
mentally fall apart, which makes him physically fall apart in turn. Darren Barker wasn't giving Dave Allen the guidance to do that. There was nothing that said to him, right, slip the jab, get inside, throw the right to the body. There were times when Allen would faint to shoot, shoot to the body and Price's hands came down as if he knew. Because remember, go back to that Dave Allen-Lucas Brown fight. Dave Allen finished him with the left hook to the body. Beautiful shot. The yeah. fucking like, halved Lucas Brown. <laughs> And I think David, uh, David Price was very cautious of that, very aware. So when Dave Allen fainted to the body, the hands and the elbows would come down and tuck in from Price. That's when you then needed to start throwing the combinations up top and then bring the arms back up. Because at that moment, you start to make David... David Price would have had an idea in his head of how he stops those attacks. So if Allen faints to throw to the body or throws to the body, you get the arms down. If he fainted to the body, then went up to the head, the arms would have to come back up. Yeah. If he then went back to the body, you can guarantee those arms will still be up to cover to the head. And Price would start to fall apart, I suspect. But mm. that never happened. There were never those body-head-body combinations. It was either like body-body uppercut, body-body right hand over the top. There was nothing that was like body-body-head or faint to the body-head back to the body. Those kind of things that would have... I don't like to use the word, but tortured David Price into starting to drain away again. And it was sad to see because David Allen is a tough man. He quit. Now, I'm, I'm, not, Has, saying, I'm not saying that to be horrible. I'm not saying... And quit is used in this horrible term um, in boxing. You know, he quit. He's a quitter. I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying he had to ask his corner to pull him out because he was in such a bad way and because he knew something wasn't right. And he did the right thing to quit. It's not something to be ashamed of the problem is with that that he'd kind of laughed online about Amir Khan quitting about Anthony Joshua quitting and mm. saying that he as a man could never bring himself to quit so there must have been that thought process going on in his head that's how bad it must have been almost for him. like some people spout off before they realize what it's like to be in a certain situation exactly you or I but could people wouldn't do that online <laughs> You or I could sit here and say, I'd never quit in a fight. I, c I couldn't. I'm a man. I couldn't, I couldn't quit in a fight. <laughs> Until I've gone 10 rounds with Pricey, smashing my face in, four rounds of which I can't see the punches coming. And then I might think a lot differently about it when I'm sat down in that stool for that lonely minute. When Darren Barker, by this point, has come out of the corner almost. You know, at the end of the round, you see them, you sit the fighter down, the, the head coach is in their face telling them what to do. Mick Marsden, who's, Dave's old coach and I think still his manager was there and he was introduced at the beginning of the fight as his I think it was life coach maybe something like that wow okay by about the fifth round they'd almost they'd swap places Mick Marsden was in doing the work on Dave and Darren Barker and granted he had to do some work on the eye to try and get the eye the swelling to come down a bit Marsden but Barker was then like ineffectual and it was Mick Marsden that had almost taken over what round did the eye get opened up at uh, it was it was closing around five right and he went through to ten wow um, so look, I'm not doubting Dave Allen's toughness we know Dave Dave yeah. is a sound man but you, you, you're saying that toughness has never been his that's in never question. been question yeah but the question I would have is when you're talking about the way to deal with David Price has David Allen shown that he has that boxing skill in the past where he's 
he's looking for vulnerabilities in his opponent, exploiting those weaknesses. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, faint to the body, go for the head or all the things you said, you suggested that he could have done. <laughs> has he demonstrated in previous fights that that is? Because for me, his greatest asset, David Allen's, has always been to basically wear down his opponent's spirit with, oh my God, I can't knock this bloke out and hope for a weakness that opens it, presents itself that he can just throw a bomb at. Do you know what I mean? It's not been about picking the lock. No, you're right. I don't think he has really. The Nick Webb was a one-punch knockout, right hand over the top. Yeah. Nick Webb hasn't proven, you know, he got beaten by Kamil Sokolowski not long back. He's proven that he's not the fighter we thought and hoped he would be. Lucas Brown, you know, that he got dropped by Kamil Sokolowski, the same fighter, up in a <laughs> dinner show in Scotland a couple of weeks before fighting Dave Allen. The shot that's finished both of them, the right hand over the top, you know, yes, it was telegraphed, but it was a great shot by Dave. The left hand that finished Lucas Brown was a great shot by They're great shots, but they're one-punch knockouts. Has yeah. he shown that he can intuitively um, read a fight and yeah. find the weaknesses? And, and create no. the opening for that So you weakness. go back to like the Bracamonte fight, the Argentinian they flew over for him not long back. It was meant to be a fairly relatively easy tick-over fight, but Dave made it like a, I don't know, maybe it was a 10-round like war um, because he couldn't get him out early enough and then he didn't have the, the keys to unlock it. Um so look, this sounds like we're having a go at Dave. I'm not at all. It's just I don't think it does. Okay, so the the problem that he's got is that he he'd criticised online Khan and Joshua for quitting, and then he's done it himself. He did quit, but I'm not saying that offensively. I'm not saying it to take the piss. I'm not saying it, he quit, and I don't blame him at all because his long term health was on the line at that point. Yeah. He got stretched out of the O2 and taken off to hospital. Wow, his health was on the line at that wow. point. Like, nobody can criticise him for doing that. You can criticise him for what he said before and then him doing it, fine. But his health was on the line. Let him do that in peace. Um, but yeah, he just, he wasn't good enough. He but wasn't, he, didn't he refer to health problems on his Twitter? Yeah, he kind of alluded to the fact that he knew maybe that he wasn't up to it before the fight. So when we come back to Eddie Hearn... And your question at the beginning, is this one of the best cards? This was the co-support. This was the main support. This came on after Chisora Spilka. If one half of it knows that they're not up to the job going into the fight, and the other half is David Price, this isn't your best card that you've put on in Home Along. Um, But look, again, credit to David Price, but it kind of... It kind of leaves the same taste as what we were just saying about Dave Allen, that when you start looking back for who Dave Allen's beat, that one big punch against Nick Webb, the one big punch against Lucas Brown, are we going to look back at this win for David Price and say, you beat a Dave Allen who wasn't perhaps maybe fully fit? A Dave Allen who, when we pull his record apart, hasn't achieved what maybe people perceive that he's achieved? Yeah. Um, but I'm chuffed for Pricey. Maybe it gives him an opportunity not to be chucked in with the big dogs. But look back at how Dave Allen's been treated. Hearn was talking up the fucking Povetkin fight. That if Dave came through this, they were going to get him Povetkin. Are you, are you serious? Like, look at what Dave Allen is. He's a man with very limited amateur boxing bouts. Maybe 12. 
He's been rushed through the pro game because there was no money invested in him early doors. He needed that money. And so he took the Dillian White fight. He took the Tony Yoka fight. He took the Luis Ortiz fight. And they they sort of like... They've probably maybe, done a lot of damage to him mm, that he's alluding to mm. now because he's only a young man and he's talking about this could be the end of it for him. He's only a young man. And I don't think anyone out there of sane mind would object to him saying that's enough in the sport. I've taken my beatings. Yeah. I, I own a few houses now. I've got money in the bank. I'm going to walk away. Because you look at the damage you took in that Luis Ortiz fight. Couldn't eat for like a month because of the damage to his tongue. Wow. Where he'd gone through it. You look at the fucking shellacking he took in that Tony Yoka fight. You look at the damage he must have taken in that Dillian White fight. That all amounts. That all adds up. Yeah. And so if he walks away from it now, I'd wish him nothing but the best. He's a good man. He's a good man, Dave Allen. I, I, based on what he said himself in the past, what would worry me is his the lure of coming back, yes. not for any other reason. Yes. Then he's, I said, I can't, I can't give you it verbatim, but he said before he lives for it. Basically, he lives for that for that up and coming and you know what worries me the most about that is that he went out on his stool quitting like he's a tough tough man he's a manly man he's a bloke he's not going to want his career to end with him having to ask his corner to stop the fight because that's not in his nature and it would have been horrible for him to have to have done that it's a difficult one though isn't it like for a boxer you go out on a win you feel like you could probably do more yeah, you go out on a loss, and you've gone out on a loss. So it's really yeah. Like where does Manny Pacquiao's career end? Does somebody have to pin him, like nail him to the canvas, like Marquez <laughs> did, for him to say, "Right, enough's enough. I'm 49 now. I'm a heavyweight. Just I should be a, just, just just have another break in the Senate. This time for five years. Come back with two robotic legs, <laughs> Senator Pacquiao. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> Political power. <laughs> political power and he just emits light and just glows into the <laughs> ring like that Simpsons he, the Mr. Burns al- one yeah. where going through the forest did he always used to do that I now drink plutonium between rounds yeah I inject political power into my veins uh, so, right. look, so where does this so we I mean we've it's pointless asking the question where does it leave Dave Allen it leaves him in a bit of a mess and that's entirely his call it leaves him in a mess it leaves him needing to go away and assess whether he should be in this sport yeah. or whether there are other ways he can stay in the sport that don't involve him taking the punches. Because his style isn't changing. Under Darren Barker, it hasn't changed. He might be fitter, but his head still stays on that centre line and he still takes those right hands off opponents that are needlessly being taken. Well, just, just listening to you and Terry speak over the years, that sounds to me like something that you can't, you're not going to be able to change at this late stage. You're not going to change career. that out of him. And he's built his career on being that tough man, yeah. that tough dude that can take those punches. And if you can't take those punches now, then you need to get out of it. Because you don't want to do long-term... No one wants to see Dave Allen with long-term health problems no. as a result of boxing. Well, What I'd love to see is Dave Allen with however many houses he's bought and can still find a place for himself in the sport as a pundit, as a coach, as whatever it is that he chooses to do. I, don't know, I mean, I'd be shocked if the punishment he's taken already hasn't led to long-term health issues for him. He's, 
maybe who knows you, you can't say no you can't and I, and I have no information to back that up but it, just the punishment he has taken would lead me to think that there's probably certain things that he knows now like you know whatever whatever part of his body that hasn't been right since that fight yeah, yeah. that hasn't been right since that fight you know yeah. I'm sure there are certain things that he feels himself I've known boxers before that have said like they've been boxing for three or four years that ha- can't see properly and they've passed their board medicals, which involves an eyesight test. That have said, like, I see two. Like most of the time, I've got double vision out of one eye. What? Mm. And so you're right. I'm not saying that is the case with Dave Allen, but he probably knows. Well, he knows his body better than anyone else. There might be things, as there might be with every boxer, where yeah. they're saying. But it just depends on whether once they've got that medical license, it depends on whether they want to put it on the line. And yeah. too many boxers, from the stories that I've heard, are willing to do that. And too many need to do it for the money. And well, I just, you there's know, that you... as well. Yeah. Okay, David Price. What about him? Where does he go next? <sighs> I don't know. What? Is he fighting for our other world title? Chisora what, number eight? <laughs> is, he, is he number eight? Number eight? I don't know. Like, this is what I was saying. I don't want to take away from him. Because it was probably the best performance, certainly, of the last five years. But you do just think, as soon as he comes up against someone that sticks it on him, that is happy to stand in front of him, and when they get the opportunity, throw the combinations that will make him think, make him panic, make him drain, then it's all going to fall apart again. That's kind of what you just assume about him. Yeah, I, you do think that. Um, I'd like to know, um, the listeners... What do what's what is who are your eight? If we have tomorrow, if we have a a world, a world level ultimate boxer, so yeah, you've got ultimate boxer. At the end of the night, you get an, uh, you get a unified Wilder, <laughs> Joshua, <laughs> Fury, Ruiz. That's the four you've got to have. Yeah, White, you're probably going to have. Ortiz, you're probably going to have. Give give us your give us your eight. Well, that's so, six. So that's six. Um, Are you indulging in a Chisora or? I'm going to pick a young and up and coming one. Let's chuck Dubois in there. I'm not okay. saying he should go in with these lads yet, but let's chuck him in and then Prince Patel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want Chisora in for Prince Patel so we can load no, up on him? I want Prince time. Patel Wilder. Round one. <laughs> Ding, ding. <laughs> it's the only five of the night that's scheduled to go 12 rounds because you know it won't. <laughs> and you're just scheduling it in anyway. Um, ding, right. ding. <laughs> and he's not allowed to get knocked out. If it gets, if it gets knocked out, it <laughs> just keeps standing him up. <laughs> Fucking hell. He's on strings. Like, how do you win? We'll just, we'll just do points at the end. But the lighting <laughs> rigs above the ring. They're like winching him off that. Poor bastard. Uh, what do you want to do next? Dillian White or Luke Campbell? Let's get Dillian White. How long have we been on? Far too long. An hour and 35. Ah, come on, man. Let's let's get this closed off. You're the one reviewing them. So, Dillian White, Oscar Rivas. Right. So, a lot of people before the fight were downplaying Oscar Rivas's abilities. The likes of Spencer Fearon were like, this is handpicked for 
for Dillian White. It like, didn't. I, I, like, I realise I'm no oracle on this, but it didn't look to me like a particularly challenging fight for. But just that was purely based on names. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Oscar. Yeah, no, it was the. It was like I don't really know anything about Rivas. I think I admitted in the last podcast. I think Terry said you wouldn't know anything about. It. I was like, no, I've ne- literally never heard of him. So no, and it I think must be a walkover. That's why it's so hard to sell as a pay per view. It's why the O2 wasn't full last time. Yeah. Um, but look, he's a highly acclaimed. He beat Andy Ruiz as a junior. Uh, sorry, as an amateur. Right. Um, you know, he's got that background. He's had over a hundred amateur fights. He's an undefeated Colombian. Man is tough as old boots. <laughs> he just kept coming throughout the whole fight. Um, White White was in control. You felt of the fight. Just he always had the upper hand. His jab was strong. Um, that left hook, you know, the left hook that we're used to seeing of White now. The one where he overextends it too far. Every time he throws it, he almost brings his shoulder around to face his opponent. Like the back of his, his shoulder I think I know blade. I what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, like when he throws that left hook, the shoulder blade almost ends up pointing at the opponent. Like he's almost facing backwards. Um, he never really connected with it on Revis on, on many occasions. But the jab was strong. He was just in control. You know when you talk about that ring generalship of a fight and like... I never scored any of the fights last night, but I always had White just being in front, just being better. But just White gets dropped. And then White gets dropped, like out of nowhere. Um, yeah, White gets dropped, gets caught on the ropes. Um, and it wasn't, it was somewhere between a flash knockdown and a heavy knockdown. Um, and so Reva, uh, when White's up, he kind of, he turns away from the ref, walks into the corner. And you're kind of thinking, like, turn back round because the rest going to get to 10 in a second. And he almost did get to 10. But let Dillian was clearly fine. So it was almost like the rules should say you're not allowed to carry on almost by that. But you're fine, so we're going to do it anyway. And it's <laughs> right. your show, so whatever. But ignore that. And uh, he comes back out and starts throwing again with Revis. But he's clearly on wobbly legs a little bit. He's not completely recovered. So Revis goes in trying to... Um, Always makes me feel nervous when I see White like that because he, he does seem to like lose it, doesn't he? he, he it's almost like, yeah, he's been dropped. He's vulnerable. And, and it's pissed him it. off. Yeah. And he's going to fight back, but he's not fully recovered to yeah. fight back. If he, At that point, he looks top heavy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked top heavy anyway. He was yeah. He was carrying a lot of bulk into that fight. Um, like he expected to maybe get him out by the fifth, sixth round. Like he didn't look like he'd come prepared for 12, which is what he had to do. Um, but Rivas never stopped coming during that whole fight, but White was able to just dominate him, it felt like. Apart from that knockdown, and then for like one and a half rounds after that, White looked in a bit of trouble. But I think that's what we like about Dillian White, is that he is... Um, Vulnerable? Vulnerable. Mm. In the same way Fury's vulnerable at times. In the same way Joshua's vulnerable. We haven't really seen that vulnerability about Wilder, apart from when Ortiz nearly had him out and, you know, he seemed to get a little bit more time than perhaps he should have to recover Wilder. Um, That's what we like about these heavyweights, is that they can be dropped, but White can get back up. And rather than do what might be sensible, which is try and tie him up and get through to the end of the round, he's going to gunfight with him. He's going to throw with him, like with him. So when Revis was throwing, White was throwing at the same time. 
rather than being sensible and trying to cover up, hold, get through to the end of the round, sit down, let Mark Tibbs sort you out. Um, yeah, it was... It, it was a good performance. It was one of those fights that you thought, you know, this was for the WBC interim title. He probably didn't, he didn't need to take this fight. And it was a dangerous, it turned out probably to be more dangerous than him and his team assumed it would be. But he came through it and it's another learning fight for White. We said it before about like him and Josh Taylor are two examples of boxers that are experiencing different types of opponents before they become a world title holder. Josh Taylor is now a world title holder. Dillian White might become a world title holder. But if he does, he's experienced all these different types of opponents. So when he's got that belt around him, he doesn't need to learn anymore. He's done all of his learning without a title. Yeah. Um, which is what you feel like Joshua never did. Joshua was kind of fast-tracked to that title because Charles Martin was available and then had to learn on the job. Like White's learning before he gets to the job. And you can't criticise him for that particularly. Whether that should be on pay-per-view, you can criticise. Um, but no, it was just, it was an accomplished performance. Um, so I guess then the question would be, not so much where Dylan White goes from here because... Because that's a shit question you ask it about everyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, perhaps, given that we, it seems to be a theme for him, that he's almost trying to round himself as a fighter before he moves, tries to move on, who would be a good opponent for him next? They're kind of running out of legitimate opponents that don't hold world titles. The obvious answer will always be he should have fought these eliminators, Kubrat, yeah. Pulev, Luis Ortiz, but... Last night was the official eliminator to make him a mandatory. So he's now the mandatory for Deontay Wilder. Ah, okay. Right. But Deontay Wilder is meant to be fighting Ortiz in uh, November, probably. And then Fury in May. (laughs) And so you're still looking at after May 2020 before... before, uh, So it could be a mandatory for Fury? Yes. Yes, it could. Um... That, Which is cool. Works too. Either way, either way. But mm. he's got to keep himself busy. Because if you say that's going to be in May, Wilder Fury, assuming Wilder comes through Ortiz, then you're looking at May, probably October next year, by the time White gets his shot. Yeah. Which would be another year and a bit. Like, what's he going to do with himself until that time? Because every fight he has, he's risking this like mandatory position. Is he? Is that how it works? I would suspect it'll be hard to keep your position as a mandatory if you went and got knocked out. Can, yeah, okay, fair one. But that could, it, surely he could have... Is it reasonable to think you could have tick-over fights? Or is that risky? Mm, or Yes, but he's a pay-per-view fighter now. According to Hearn and that, he's a pay-per-view... You've built this financial monster that wants to earn shitloads of money per fight the only way to do it would be to get a Tom Schwartz. You know, BT managed to justify Fury versus him as pay-per-view. Shout out Dev Sarni, who I was having this conversation with the other day. Uh. If you want someone who's shit but with a good record, get Tom Schwartz. There must be another Tom Schwartz knocking about. If BT can justify that as pay-per-view, Sky surely can. <laughs> Watch out for someone leaping people in the rankings. Yeah! He's, well, See he's, who the WBC can bring up. He's number four in the rankings. What's his name again? Bill the Bin Man. Where, where, where did he come from? 
Uh, right, okay. Luke Campbell Lomachenko is the last. Been announced uh, back end of August at the O2. Brilliant. Like, when we talk about pay-per-view cards, I don't care what goes on the undercard of this fight because it's Lomachenko at the O2. It's a once-in-a-lifetime, you'd suspect, opportunity to see Lomachenko in the flesh in Britain. I'm more than happy for that to be a pay-per-view. You won't hear me complain about that being a pay-per-view. It's it's a worldwide superstar that's come into the UK. So put whatever you want on the undercard of that. Call it a pay-per-view. I don't think it's a close fight. I think Luke Campbell will get beaten and stopped. Um, but you're not allowed to say that, are you? Because then you get the issue of... Was it Crawler came out recently and he, he said, good luck to Luke Campbell. You know, like, I hope he, he finds that he's at that level. I thought I was at that level. Um, and it turns out I wasn't. And, like, Lomachenko just did things that I couldn't comprehend. And yet we said that before the fight and we were called Barry from Barnsley or Paul from Pontefract or whatever. Um... <laughs> You know, like, if if we said that, if we said this is a one-sided fight that shouldn't be happening, we were the ones in the wrong. But Anthony Crawler went into the ring and then came out and said, that was a one-sided fight that I didn't have any chance in. And apparently we were in the wrong for saying that beforehand. Luke Campbell, I think, for the record, has a better chance. Um, I think he will cause Lomachenko a few problems. He's a bigger man than Lomachenko. He's also a southpaw. Um, he showed against Linares that he can get up, he can fight, he can box. But look, no one's going to make him a favourite against Lomachenko, but it's a, a brilliant spectacle to have Lomachenko over on these shores because for too long we've been losing these fights over to the US. And so let's celebrate the fact that it's in the UK. Yeah. Before we um, move on from that white card, I'll watch some of the zone coverage. Okay. I'll watch the zone um, feed. Feed, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, be around the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck me, it's terrible. It is terrible. Now, I can see why they get it so cheap. Now, granted, they're just getting the Sky feed, aren't they? And then they're working off that. But, you know, in between fights where, like, Sky would have, say, Macklin and Bellew down at ringside doing, like, filler stuff? There's none of that. They just, like zone out of the ring so they've got the wide angle lens of the O2 and then they'll just put the pictures up of the two boxes coming up next and then there's just somebody talking over the top of it at the time if it's Alex Arthur or uh, I can't remember the name of the other guy that was doing the commentary just like talking but really distantly from the action and I tweeted about it last night it felt like they were streaming it themselves and <laughs> that's how bad it was and someone said it was like they were commentating in their house but it was late at night and they didn't want to wake their neighbours up Aww. so they had to keep it a bit low key that's what it felt like it just you know when you watch like 80s fight nights you probably don't but if you ever turn on Box Nation at like 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon because you've got a bit of time and you're working from home they'll show like some random 80s fight night from a hall in America and it's all low production values. That's what it felt like. It was absolute wank. Which, granted, when they have their own shows in America, I'm sure it's a very different thing. Whereas this was a British show being piped over. I'm sure their American ones are higher... Pro- well, they better be a higher production value than that. But the zone coverage for that was atrocious. 
Um, we only have one question. Good. Um, and well, I say... Uh, are the cruiser and light heavyweight divisions the best two divisions all round at British level at the moment? Both have some exciting talent in them from Daniel Smith. Yeah. Yeah, I would say they are. We ran through the light heavy earlier. When you look at the likes of Craig Richards, Joshua Boazzi, um, Dan Aziz, Andre Sterling, you could throw in then a Jake Ball, put him back into the mix. All these kind of names. And there are other ones that are knocking about that make for an exciting mix of lads that are progressing very well, but not too far at the moment. So they can all just kind of find their ceiling right now and aim for that ceiling. Maybe that in time they can go above that. But if they all stop there and fight one another for a few years and establish who's the best domestically, brilliant. They should do that. Cruiserweight, fantastic division. When you look at Lawrence Acoli being the best in Britain, I don't think that's doubtable. I think that's just a fact. Um, He's cleaned up. He's cleaned up. Um, But then you look at the ones that are coming through, and I think Lawrence will move on to the Europeans soon and relinquish the British title. Um, then you look at the ones that are coming through. You've got uh, Richard Reactpour coming through. Um, Chris Billum-Smith, you'd love to see that rematch from last night. Like, Well, maybe not stylistically, but it was close enough that you would happily see it again. Um, uh, there were so many lads still knocking about. Isaac Chamberlain, Luke Watkins, Waddy Camacho's still there. Dion Juma's coming up. Nick Parper's just won the Southern area. There were so many lads around that weight division, again, around the same kind of number of fights, around the same talent pool that you wouldn't mind seeing fight one another. That, Yeah, I, I think they're really exciting divisions. We should all be encouraging them just to, to fight. Okay, second question. Uh, with Manny winning last night, does that mean the WBA regular is now back in play? <sighs> I don't even know, if I'm honest. That was for a WBA title. I don't know which one. I don't really care. Like That's the problem, isn't it? Do, I wonder who cares. When the WBA the other day tweeted out, happy birthday to fucking Jarrell Miller. Jarrell Miller, the man who's currently undergoing a ban <laughs> because of the number of drugs found in his system... And then he had to come out and confess what he'd been doing. And you suspect that wasn't all of it anyway. And yet the WBA take the time out of their day to write a personalised happy birthday yeah. message on their Instagram and Twitter. I think, you're fucking, you're falling apart at the seams, you bunch of dickheads. So I, I don't know what that title was for. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm beyond... It's weird how you... you I'm beyond you knowing. But I think he'd asked about, does that mean that we could end up with Josh Kelly yeah. and Connor Ben? Yeah, telling us that, uh, and and her and trying to tell us that it matters. You wouldn't rule it out, would you? You wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule Eddie Hearn telling us any fight matters. No, he told us that was you know one of the best cards they've put on in years yeah. last night. I mean, he's a salesman at the end of the day. If you, if it's you, his job. If you came away from um, a second-hand car place and your car was absolutely knackered, I can't believe it. The bloke selling me the car told me this was the best car he had. You'd sound like an idiot. Yeah, but the so, worst thing is, if you went back there to replace it and bought another one next week, 
Yeah, and kept doing it. Then that's your own fault. Yeah. That's your own fault. And that's what people are doing. Yeah. Um, I think Josh Kelly's got his own, you know, rematch that he probably ought to go and sort out with Robinson over in America. Connor Ben, we know what he is. He's limited. He's fun. He's exciting. He's not going to win a world title unless it is in that scenario. Um, but he's ranked in the top 10 or whatever with the WBA. So you can't rule it out. You just can't. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, there is no any other business section, as said before. So there's uh, not much to do now, rather than, other than, I suppose, okay. reflect one last time on the fact, because we, the reason we don't have an any other business section is because we don't have a Terry on our books. Martin, I don't, please, please, I don't want you to, I don't want you to fall apart here. You know, it's hard for me, and I'm not happy about this. Wasn't this song written to stop people committing suicide? To stop people, to stop people committing suicide. Are you sure that's... It is. That's what this song was about. It was like their attempt to tackle people committing suicide. <laughs> Imagine turning this they on. I really didn't think about that. Imagine turning they? this on when you're like going up the bridge. Fuck that. Don't let yourself go. <laughs> we miss you, T. Right, there's nothing else to say. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. Sometimes. Sometimes everything is wrong. Now it's time to sing along. When day is gone. the lead singer of a band Martin will you please leave the house I, I, I can't I can't do the, all this editing stuff with you here I'm waiting for Terry to turn I'm not mind. leaving till I see Terry it's my Sunday ritual I've got to see that bastard